Welcome to You Are Loved, a podcast with open conversations about healing after suicide and suicide prevention. Join me as we discuss how you can heal after losing a loved one to suicide. Discover how others found hope again in their moments of darkness and how you can truly scatter hope to those who need it most of all. When you do, you can save their life. I'm your host, Crystal Partney. I am a best-selling author, speaker, and suicide grief coach. Together, we can heal. Remember, you are loved. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Dr. Hampton. Dr. Hampton, welcome. I'm happy to be here. Um, I love talking about healing and wellness, so anything I can do to add to the conversation, let's do it. Yes, and I just want to preface for those people that weren't able to attend the summit. Dr. Hampton graciously was a guest and a speaker on the summit that we just hosted on Valentine's Day with our theme, of course, of let love win after suicide. And you had some fabulous talking points as always. And But for those people that weren't able to attend, would you kindly introduce yourself and we will just go from there. All right. Well, I am a family and obesity doctor, board certified in both. And I went crazy and got a master's in nutrition and functional medicine because I just needed that extra uh, knowledge about how to help people heal from poor metabolic health. You know, that's the blood pressure and the blood sugar and things like that. So I wanted to, you know, get this you know best return on investment by helping people that way. I'm in the Chicagoland area. In, in America. I'm in a large health system. It's called Advocate Health. We've merged with Atrium in the South, uh, Aurora in Wisconsin, and, and Advocate. Now we're Advocate Health, which is all of them combined. And in my health system, I've been able to use that background training I mentioned to uh, help with what we call healthy living programs, where we get in front of people and talk about wellness and lifestyle. We also have a food pharmacy in our health system where we actually literally give food to our patients who need it. uh, And then we teach them about how to use that food to uh, live a healthy life. We have a diabetes prevention program, COPD, for those with emphysema or bronchitis programs. We're working on a potential uh, 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 growing some food model where we actually will grow some food ourselves and then uh, use our food pharmacy to help people uh, in that way. So that's kind of what I do in my health system. Uh, we're also uh, working, uh, well, what I'm doing personally is I have a YouTube channel, a podcast, Protecting Your Nest. I use that to also educate people. You can reach more people by just spreading your message more broadly. And I just believe that when you have suffered from trauma, uh, you have to think about everything, not just making sure you take medicines or talk to a therapist, but are there lifestyle changes that you can use to help you when you struggle? Because the thing is, the struggle is going to always be there. There are going to be things that are going to trigger us. The question is, do I have a body that's able to kind of bounce back from that? And that's kind of why I think lifestyle has to be added to the equation. And that's why that's so important to me. Right. And like you said so beautifully, your body, you, it's, we're really discovering and correct me if I'm wrong, but we're, we're newly discovering all the, the science and the evidence behind it. 
that there is this strong body, mind, spirit connection that I don't think the research was there, I would say, even like 20 years ago. And like I said, correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, that is just so fascinating that we're newly discovering all of this fabulous research that has been surfacing about that connection. Yeah, and we'll get better. Um, And some of the research existed in a way, it was anecdotal, and it was also what other countries were doing. Uh, You know, we use the most medicine of any country in the United States. So why has it been that other places like use acupuncture and it works and we just don't take it seriously right right because <laughs> so it's, like, it's yeah, a lot it, easier to just say here's a prescription right exactly you can get an asana and detoxify mercury from your body why did not I learn that in medical school right so so I think some of it was we needed more science because in order to get clinicians to follow anything they need evidence base, right? So we, but the good news is the evidence is there for most of the things that we do that are alternative, complementary. And and now that we know this, let's add that to what we do to help people. Instead of just relying on the conventional approaches, we integrate things together so that we can say, well, maybe that modality is not working well, so we'll try this. Or that modality is working fairly well But if we add this other modality, maybe both together synergistically will have a bigger impact. So so it's really exciting, as you've suggested, that now we have these other tools. And my practice of medicine did not really get really good. I didn't really become a healer until I learned how to integrate those other things. Now, I'm going to tell you this really quick story. I had a 95-year-old come to me um, just yesterday before we recorded. And uh, probably about eight or nine months ago, I uh, noticed that her kidneys were had failed. She had gone to the hospital. They put her on dialysis. And I said to her family, there's still hope. So we put her on a dietary change where she reduced the starch and sugar in the processed foods. And if anybody follows kidney tests, it's called the creatinine. The creatinine went from, it was in a six, seven range. And within about eight months, it's down to the 1.7 range, which is not dialysis. So now we're having a conversation with the nephrologist, you know, this patient shouldn't be on dialysis. Now imagine what that would do. Even though she's 95, she's had a full life. Imagine how the rest of her life will be if she doesn't yeah. have to be on dialysis. But it was all lifestyle changes that did it. It wasn't oh, yeah. the medicine. So we have to integrate lifestyle into our story. That is incredible. And like you said, She's 95. This patient is 95 and she's already lived a full life. And, but to be able to, I just want to emphasize that to be able to give her that new zest. Yes, she's 95, but can you imagine like, okay, the rest of her life, who knows when that, you know, will, will be, but to be able to give that, that boost again, and to be able to say like, Hey, now you have this, this, um, yeah, I, just, I keep saying new zest because to me, that's what it, that I'm assuming that's what it would feel like to yeah. be able to have that dramatic turnaround and for the better. Yeah. And it's just a, it's important that people know that some people get told they're going to be on dialysis and they just give up. 
So mm-hmm. we we can restore hope and we can give her uh, her her time back. It may take yeah. you six hours, three times a week if you're going to Dallas versus Dallas is at home uh, where you do it at night. But, you know, those six hours, that's 18 hours that um, she can have back. That's yeah. feeling better and not right. feeling tired. I mean, dialysis can wear you out. So uh, it'll wear you out at 54. My age is definitely going to wear you out at 95. So, uh, so yeah, it's exciting. This is what healthcare should look like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that beautiful story. And yes, I, I know what you mean where it can not just physically drain you, but mentally as well. I, I remember you know, personally, my, my grandpa being on dialysis and the, you mentioned losing that hope and yeah, I, I definitely could witness that firsthand and seeing that very slow decline. And it was, it was heartbreaking. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, I want to mention how important like lifestyle is and a lot of times when we think about lifestyle, I think when we when we had the uh, healing after suicide summit, we talked a little bit about. Um, well, I talked a few things about my nest and my rogue a- a- acronym, right? I talked about yes, yes. Know, let's let's yeah. dive in there. All, all in, and I'm not going to go terribly deep because people may want to go back and look at the summit, right? But, yes. but I just want to, at a high level, just say that that nest is nutrition which I think I'll talk the most about today because I think that's so critical. Then the E is for exercise. So in all the studies show, if you exercise, it's very effective at reducing your depression, anxiety, and and the things that may trigger you if you are having suicidal thoughts or have struggled with suicidal thoughts. Um, The stress reduction is the S and the S is also for sleep. I got a lot of sleep last night, so... I'm probably going to have a better day because I did. I'm not going to watch the news today, so I probably won't have a lot of stress today. So right? <laughs> stay away from the news, right? Yeah. Um, and then the T is for recovering for trauma. Offline, we talked about how in, in, in Advocate Health, we have a trauma recovery center. So trauma is important. Having been exposed to some suicidal thoughts or someone you love have died from suicide, that's trauma. So we have to have things in our system that deal with that. And the uh, T is also for how we think. So I tend to consume positive things. I may listen to Anthony Robbins later today, anything that's going to keep my brain straight. So that's kind of like the nest part, right? And again, every component matters if you're going to heal and recover. The The rope is our relationships, um, you know, having relationships that matter, having relationships that are not harming us. Those are really important uh, what we eat matters. So the, or, the O is for organisms and the P is for pollutants, right? So we want to make sure our, our microbiome is okay. Many of you know that your uh, your gut is where your serotonin is made, which is your mood hormone. So if I, my gut is not healthy, then I may not do well with my mind, that brain, uh, that gut brain axis, that connection is real. Uh, I need to consume foods that don't destroy that. So pollutants that harm us, need to be avoided. Rather, it's uh, uh, even the toothpaste we consume. You know, am I getting too much fluoride? Uh, I'm going to do a podcast that's going to talk about that really soon. And then the E is for our emotions and our life experiences. Protect our emotions and make sure our life experiences 
are serving us. So I think when people are hearing that acronym, what I want you to do is say, where do I have gaps? Where do I need to work on? It could be something like my relationship is dysfunctional. So let's talk to a therapist. Let's get a life coach. Let's work on that because if you're doing really well, you're exercising, you're eating right, but then you go home and you're having a dysfunctional relationship, it's still going to cause harm and it's going to, it's still going to make you struggle. And it's going to, it may trigger you. It may trigger you uh, to reflect on that suicidal thought that maybe you were having or reflect on had that loss of someone who was lost to suicide. So that's why you want to think big picture. You know, why do I struggle? Can I then start to work on components of that? But don't try to build Rome in a day. You have to just do a little bit at a time. Uh, just like when you listen to Anthony Robbins, listen to, you know, five, 10 minute video, and then you're done for the day. Don't, don't try to overdo it because you're not trying to create stress, trying to fix everything at once. But if you over time do that, what I found is that you start to change into the kind of person you had always hoped to be. And maybe that person is a person who can handle stressors better than in the past. So that's kind of how I see the big picture. And I think for purposes of this conversation, we should probably focus on nutrition because I think that's where uh, the rubber hits the road. And that's something you can actively do. Um, and so maybe we can go in that direction. Sure. Yeah, let's, let's, let's dive in. All right. So let's do that. So let's think about nutrition and why it's so critical. To, the, I have bad news is that your clinician probably didn't learn a lot about nutrition in medical school. If we're talking about a doctor, if it's a nurse practitioner, a physician's assistant, they probably didn't learn. I just interviewed someone from one of our hospitals, wonderfully talented, gifted uh, family doctor. And she said they had zero hours of nutrition at one of our hospitals, by the way. <laughs> so I'm wow. like, oh my God, we're not teaching it in not only uh, medical school, but in her residency, it's not being focused upon. So, uh, so that's a problem. So for me personally, I did not have a, uh, I did have a patient uh, when I was a resident who was lost to suicide, but it didn't impact me as much as if it was a family member, but it was definitely impactful, right? So, but from a nutrition perspective, it was my stomach that kind of needed to be better. And when I tried medicines for my irritable stomach, it just didn't get the job done. And, and what I found is the same is true for people who are dealing with suicide. You know, someone in, in their life had a suicide or they're contemplating suicide and they're trying to prevent it. If you just rely on medicines, and I would even argue therapy, you may do really well. But if you don't uh, deal with nutrition, you may suffer. So that's why I think that's important. And, and the reason why is because our brains um, need to be fed the right food so it can function properly. And so what I did personally and what I ask anybody to do, do your own little experiment, right? And, and what my experiment was, um, it's been about 10 years since I've been kind of in the low carb world, but I was in the low fat space before that for eight years. I was a vegetarian for eight years. And when you compare like how I felt compared to the standard American diet, it was night and day. It was like, I mean, I just felt wonderful. And I was like, oh my God, I have the solution. And think, life, life is kind of funny. You do a Google search. Right. <laughs> that's what it is. You do a Google search and you find the diet that's best for you. The problem is where you land will then 
determine what you do. And if you land plant-based, you're going to do that. If you land more animal-based, you're going to do that. So that's really important to remember because a lot of times people get indoctrinated into their belief systems. Now, I was fortunate in that I was open to uh, think about it more broadly. I wrote a book called Fix Your Diet, Fix Your Diabetes. When I wrote the book, it was I had to do research. And I said, oh my God, there's studies saying that you don't have to just be plant-based. You can be animal-based. So it was kind of weird and confusing. Yeah, it's and it can be confusing, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, very, very. So, so anyway, so what I did personally is that I did my experiment. And what I noticed when I did my plant-based diet, I although I felt wonderful, I still had some, you know, Brussels sprouts, right? Gas, bloating, and um, sometimes belly pain. I was like, Ugh. so I kind of continued to experiment. And what I ended up doing was I started to uh, open up after looking at research to some more animal-based diet. And as I added the animals, I started to remove some of the plants. And I just removed the things that bothered me. And, and the Brussels sprouts is the one that comes to mind the most. And by the way, I love Brussels sprouts. I love the way they taste, but my stomach just don't do well. Right. And so I think, so that's one thing I want everybody to do. Do your own experiment. And some of you will land in a more plant-based world. Some of you will land in a more animal-based world. So as I moved more towards the animal model, I, I found that my mood was better, my energy was better, and I was able to concentrate better. So I found that for me personally, that was the best model, more of a keto model. And I think everybody watching this, do your own experiment. And if you're finding that what you're doing is not quite good enough, then be open to trying other dietary patterns. So that's one thing that I want to say out loud. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about why I um, why people should consider eating more of a keto-based model. Um, and it's kind of simple. Um, and by the way, just for somatics, when people think about low carb, anything less than 120, 130 grams of carbs a day is considered low carb. It still sounds like a high number for some because uh, they don't understand that most Americans consume 250 to 300 carbs a day. And most people don't think that's true. But the reason why it's true is because if I start my day with raisin bran and a banana and maybe orange juice, that's like 92 carbs. It sounds like a great way to start the day. May not be the best way to start the day for a diabetic, for example, but that's just, a, just to give you a sense. It's not just junk food. It's food that we consider healthy but it's just right. got a lot of carbs. So just be mindful of that as I kind of speak to this. So, so what I want to say is this. So if it's true that um, when you eat a keto diet, which is less than, let's just say less than 50 a day, uh, what happens is your body will then have to rely on using fat as fuel. And don't forget fat turns into ketones. So so your belly fat that normally would just kind of sit there if you had sugar in your food, like the raisin bran, your body's going to be forced at some point to use that as fuel. And what I did know is that the brain actually loves fuel as a source of, uh, of fuel. Now, we've been taught that you have to have sugar for your brain, right? Because it won't work. But your brain actually can use ketones uh, as well, things like beta uh, hydroxybutyrate, acetoacetate, those are types of ketones. And although the fat in your diet doesn't really cross the blood-brain barrier, mm -hmm. the ketones, which are 
the breakdown product of fat can. And then once that gets into your brain, then it can convert back to fat. It's a little complicated, but we're not trying to do a biochemistry lesson today. <laughs> right. I just want to give a basic <laughs> understanding of that. Now, having said that, ketones actually have less inflammation and it would make sense if you keep it simple. So if I eat brown or white rice and it has 45 carbs and you divide that by four, you'll end up with 11 teaspoons of sugar. And you could, now nobody thinks about rice that way, but that's kind of the numbers, right? And if that happens, what happens is that's kind of creating a, a spike in your sugar. And what happens is then your brain is going to be impacted by that blood sugar spike. And then there's something called um, advanced glycation end products, which are like when your protein and your fat connects with sugar. And when that happens, there's like stickiness and your brain's getting sluggish and it just doesn't work very well. So the goal is we want to live in a world where it's okay to periodically have a spike like that. You, you're out and you have, you know, cheesecake. That's okay. But if you do it each and every day for a long time, you can imagine that's going to be bad for your brain. So for anybody that's concerned about their brain, you want to stabilize your blood sugar so that your sugars are not spiking up and down all day. That's going to, first of all, if your sugar is doing that, you're going to be, you know, they call it hangry because when it goes up and then the insulin's made and it crashes, you're going to get hungry. Is that up and down is going to make you a little irritable, not easy to be around. So we want to stabilize our blood sugar so that when we're faced with a trigger, maybe related to suicide, that trigger is going to not impact us the way it would have been if I was kind of already on edge because I'm not eating the right foods. So the other advantages um, of uh, ketones is that they increase antioxidants. And one of the conundrums is that uh, in, even in my nutrition training, they tell you, well, you need antioxidants from your diet, which is not untrue. But the question is, how much do you really need? Well, if you have this dietary pattern, it's an antioxidant itself. So you don't necessarily have to find those antioxidants in some of the foods that we eat because your brain is naturally getting it from being in a ketotic state. So who knew, mm -hmm. right? And and then there's something called oxidative stress, which is like um, when you have, just think of a, a, a apple that's kind of turning brown because of the oxygen exposure. So oxidative stress is like, when those free radicals are kind of floating around in your body and they're trying, they're kind of looking for a partner and they just go, it's just a lot of craziness going on. And then that leads to uh, problems. And, and, and when you're in a ketotic state, you're going to have a reduction in that. So, so you have less inflammation with ketones. Uh, your energy level ends up being better with mental clarity because it's a cleaner fuel source when your mitochondria is trying to convert uh, ketone fuel to energy. It's cleaner. It's like a solar panel as opposed to sugar, which is like a factory with smoke. It's right. just <laughs> so, so we try to, so the goal is to have a cleaner fuel source. And again, this is not the only way to do it, but I found that for a lot of my patients, particularly those who have diabetes, hypertension, et cetera, they just do better on a diet that stabilizes things. So, so I want to kind of uh, you know, pause there. I don't know if you have any questions about that because I want to then talk a little bit about how, uh, you know, you don't really need uh, glucose um, like you thought you did. So any other questions before I kind of 
share no, that. No, I think that sounds great. Let's let's continue forward. Yeah. So 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 one of the things that uh, your friends and family will say, well, you need you know glucose for your brain, right? And mm-hmm. and the thing is, what people don't understand is that um, that is true. Uh, you do you need glucose for your brain. The question is, where are you going to get it from, right? And so if I eat the Let's just go back to the uh, raisin brand example. I hope the raisin brand company doesn't get me, but <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I love raisin, raisin brand, so just <laughs> That's like right. okay, just like, guys, yeah. okay, raisin brand sometimes, but but it's about I think raisin brand. If you look at the box, anybody at home watching this, check out your box or listening, and I think it'll be forty six or forty eight carbs. So it's eleven or twelve teaspoons of sugar divided by four, right? So now what happens is, you know when you put that amount of sugar in your blood, there's only, you won't believe this, but there's only one teaspoon of sugar in our five liters of blood as we sit here and talk right now. Now think about that. So if there's only, why is it only one teaspoon? Because your body thinks too much glucose is toxic. Mm -hmm. And so it has to get rid of it, right? So if you then put 11 or 12 teaspoons of sugar in your body right away, uh, that's going to be uh, that's going to be a little bit of a problem. So what's cool about um, eating in a way where your body has to take protein and fat to convert it to glucose is that it's done on demand. So what many people are not aware is that when I eat a steak, which is protein and fat, my body will then uh, use the liver to convert that through something called gluconeogenesis to glucose, but it's done on demand. So I'm not really making extra glucose when I don't need it. So so you don't have those, we call it glycemic variability, it's stable. And we want stability so we can keep our mind uh, in, in a good space. Now, what's also important about the brain that a lot of people uh, should be interested in knowing is what is it made of? And, and believe it or not, I hate to say it, but we got fat heads, it's two thirds fat. <laughs> so imagine that. So, and one of the best sources of uh, uh, fat in our brain is coming from that omega-3. And anytime you look at that little bottle of omega-3 supplement, there's this uh, DHA and EPA, but the DHA is part of the omega category that's really important for uh, buffering electricity. And, and anybody that knows anything about the heart, we shock it. It's electrical. And we do an EEG, it's an electrical test to check our brain waves, right? So our brain is an electrical uh, uh, you know, organ. And DHA, that omega-3, actually helps that electrical uh, uh, activity to function better. So as the cells kind of communicate with each other, if they find it's easier to do that, and believe it or not, the nerves that surround, uh, they're, they're, our nerves in our body are surrounded by something called myelin. And the myelin is made up of basically uh, fat and protein, right? So, so if you imagine, if, the, if all that's true, wouldn't it make sense to then make sure that your body's able to get the fat that it needs to help create the myelin. So so that's why as we think about how our brain is developed, even as our babies are being, you know, our babies, if you think about milk and stuff like that, rather it's breast milk or even formula, um, it's a lot of fat. And, and our babies need that to help their brain develop. But truth be told, adults need it as well. And uh, even your energy level, because a lot of times we talk about when we eat this way, 
our energy level is better, our mental clarity is better. Well, the mitochondria, the membrane of the mitochondria, and as you know, that's the energy producing organelle for the body. The DHA is part of how it's created. It's actually involved in the creation of that, that membrane. So, and, and if you think about it, when you think about things, so, so when I'm talking to a patient who's vegan, and they're trying to, you know, do the right thing. We always talk about B12. We sometimes talk about zinc. And but one of the things we talk about supplementation for is the high potency omega-3, which has the DHA. And now you can understand why, because if I can't, if the best source of that is from like fish or other animal sources, you can imagine why it's important that they uh, supplement with that. So the goal is to, to kind of understand how the brain works, honor people who for whatever reason have a plant-based diet. And what I what I tell my colleagues, because I in the low carb community, people are just like, you know, it's like cults, right? Just like right. <laughs> I'm like, relax, take it down a notch. <laughs> that person in front of you may have cultural reasons why they can't eat meat. They may right. have religious reading reasons. They may have ethical reasons. We need to honor that. And then find a path. Like one of my favorite, there's, I think it's called The Vegetarian Reset is a great book for a vegetarian who's trying to do low carb, but needs to be plant-based. And I think there's sort of things you can do as a diabetic, for example, um, and as a person who's trying to have mental clarity that will allow them to honor that dietary pattern while also being able to uh, maybe reduce the things that make those spikes occur, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how... I, I want people to really understand that. And um, there's, and one thing I want to mention uh, real quick, uh, Crystal, is this idea of um, um, uh, why, why is there so much confusion? Um, yeah. And it's really frustrating, even after getting a master's in nutrition and having these brilliant professors. Um, and they did, they, we had a whole class that talked about uh, how to read, uh, research studies. Now, truth be told, most of the clinicians that you see are not uh, assessing the study in terms of quality. They're mm -hmm. just kind of, I promise you, I'm not making this up. Whatever the headline says is what they believe. They may read the abstract, which is a little summary in the right. beginning. But, but what I want people to understand, the reason why there's so much confusion about what's the best diet is because most nutritional studies are what we call observational studies. And what does that mean? That means that they, they just looked at data in the computer. Okay, all, you know, in the last year, people came to the hospital with diabetes and you just look at the data. But even worse, they'll just send you a survey to your house. And the survey forces you to answer yes or no to the question. So... It should say, yeah, maybe <laughs> if I don't know, maybe, but instead it says, what's the answer? And then they'll get that answer. And it'll, it'll, it could be something like, well, how, how many blueberries you eat per week? Right. And you're kind of guessing, right? Right. And then they'll take these observational studies, survey studies, and then they'll then say, oh, if you eat berries, it's good for you. Or if you eat, you know, eggs, it's bad for you. You know, they'll come up with these assumptions. Right. But what these studies do is they give you a reason to do a randomized controlled trial, which is real research, where you literally say, I'm locking you in this room and I'm only giving you five berries a day. <laughs> and then we're going to see what happens. That's real research. And so what we're supposed to do is do observational studies and then do randomized controlled trials. It's sometimes hard to do that in nutrition. 
But my point of it is, that's why there's a lot of confusion. That's why one day you'll see eggs are good for you and the next day they'll say it's bad for you because these types of studies don't really give you uh, a A equals B answer. It just gives you maybe there's a correlation, maybe there's an association, but it doesn't show causation. Causation. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to put that out there. And, and the thing that the one stat I want everybody to walk away with uh, during this episode of your podcast is that 80% of the studies that are randomized controlled trials that were done after the observational studies are not matching with the observational study set. Mm-hmm. 80%. In other words, if you flip a coin, you would get better results than by relying on those observational studies. 80% are totally opposite of what the assumption was. So the hypothesis was this, they did the randomized control trial and they didn't match. So I just want to say that, that we can't just rely on this study. So whenever you're hearing about a new study, uh, just try to find out if it was a randomized controlled trial research study as opposed to uh, uh, you know, some type of uh, observational study. So now, having said that, for purposes of this discussion, and we're talking about mental health, right, mm-hmm. and suicide risk, et cetera, the, the, the study I have to put in, so we're going to do exactly what I just said. Let's put a study in, in front of everybody and just put that as a takeaway. So the study that I want to speak to, I had a guest on my podcast, Dr. Georgia Ede, uh, E-D-E, and if you want to listen to that, it's just audio only, and um, it's on my YouTube channel and on the pie. So if you search my name, uh, and Dr. Georgia Ege, you'll find it. Uh, Dr. Eric Westman, who's at Duke, uh, he does low-carb research at Duke. He's been doing it since 2002, and it's called the Ketogenic Diet for Refractory Mental uh, Illness. And it was a, you know, a, a reasonably done study. It was, uh, uh, it's hard to do studies um, like this in general, but it was done in a hospital setting. And, and I want to talk a little bit about like what it showed. And it's kind of amazing. Um, so they took, you know, these 31 adults and they um, they they had things like schizophrenia, bipolar, and, and depression. So they weren't really like suicidal per se, but right. they had the types of uh, medical conditions that required them to be hospitalized. One thing about, so the first thing as a clinician who's trying to look at quality, I look at, well, um, when they define uh, keto, was it really a keto diet? In this case, it was. They reduced the carbs to less than 20 carbs a day. Now, that sounds like a really low number when rice is 45 carbs. You're like, well, what are they eating? My patients always say, I, there's nothing to eat, doc. You took away all my... <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but what they... <laughs> what am I supposed to eat? Are you, are you... Doc, I don't get it. But this is what you have to think about to put it in perspective. If I take the rice and I made it cauliflower rice instead, right? Which is, you know, anybody can find that in the frozen section. You see cauliflower everything these days. Right. The, the cauliflower rice is only four carbs versus 45. So so even if you got down to 20, just imagine you get to dinner, you got some baked chicken and you got some spinach and broccoli, for example, or greens. Those Those two sides are just 10 carbs. So you can, so it's doable if you have the right sides and you're not drinking juice during the day and soda and things like that. You, you didn't have a bagel for breakfast. I don't, I don't even want to know how many carbs in the bagel. It's a big number. So, so what you do is you, you understand what you're eating is different, but you're still eating as much steak as you want, as much chicken as you want, because animals don't have carbs. 
So you can't you can't say I'm hungry. You just got to eat more of the right stuff. Now, right. having said that, um, so that study was done, and it was really um, an amazing uh, study. So they did the study, and when they looked at things like uh, like depression scores and uh, all of that type of stuff, all of those things got better. And what they found is that for people who did this dietary pattern, there was significant improvements. Now, the thing that amazed me and I think would amaze anybody checking this out, like like 64% of the participants at discharge had a reduction in their medicine. Wow, 64%. that's remarkable. Now, check this out. Now, this is the part that I still don't believe. I still think they made this up, but at 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 discharge, 43% had clinical remission. Meaning at discharge, their medical condition was in remission. Now that's an incredible. And then a hundred percent had a reduction in um in their symptoms. So everybody who made the dietary change had reductions in their symptoms. So it's really uh, amazing. So let's contrast that to just relying on medicine, right? So one of the problems with anybody, so some people watching this are like, well, my doctor has me on medicines for depression because I'm at risk for suicide or I'm still suffering from a loss related to suicide. Well, guess what most of those medicines do? And I'm definitely, let me say this first, don't stop your medicine. What I'm saying is medicines have side effects. And what you want to do is if you can find a path to reduce your medicines, you should take that path. So the, so the number one thing you think about is weight gain. Now I'm an obesity doctor, I'm board certified in obesity medicine, and people come to me for that reason. And, and what they found is that a lot of the antipsychotics, uh, antidepressant medicines, serotonin, uh, reuptake inhibitors, they tend to cause weight gain. Well, guess what the keto diet does? Causes weight loss, right? So you solve that problem quite easily. Another thing that happens with uh, medications that deal with um, your, you know, your mental state is that they can cause something called anhedonia. And all that means is that your ability to experience pleasure in life, uh, is, it can be reduced for some people. In fact, uh, some people some of the celebrities that we know, like Kanye West, for example, don't want to take his medicines because he says he just doesn't feel like himself. So what's cool about uh, this dietary change is that, you know, it's the opposite of that. I mentioned earlier, mental clarity, energy, feeling better. So it does the opposite. So now we don't have to deal with that side effect. And even if you're just reducing the medicine and you're not one of those people who can get off, you're, you're still going to have less of that. And then you can experience life pleasure. I mean, what's the point of uh, existing if you can't enjoy life, right? Uh, another thing that happens is there's issues around sleep. So some people, when they take these medicines, they may feel less depressed, less suicidal. They're dealing with the suicidal exposure they've had better, but then they can't sleep as well as they used to. So with the with this dietary pattern, it improves your sleep. And uh, you know, I hate, I hate to say as a guy, but I'm going to say it anyway. As a guy, do not mess with my sexual pleasure. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you want me to be depressed. <laughs> yes. So what they find is that some of the antipsychotics, some of the medicines that you would take when you're down and struggling uh, with suicidal thoughts or again, recovering from losing somebody, 
those medicines can affect your libido and your sexual pleasure. So, so what I love about taking this dietary approach is that you can kind of mitigate that by not having to uh, worry about that. In fact, it actually does the opposite and actually helps uh, for anybody that's kind of, you know, doing that dietary pattern. So those are, so, so, so the whole point for me today is to really message um, some things I think that are really important. I'm, I, I'll call these like the takeaways, right? I sure. would probably start with, um, let's start with um, the experiment part, right? So one of the things I learned when we do research and when I was in uh, my master's program, they talked about um, uh, N, when you look at a study, the N is the number of participants, right? So in that study I mentioned, I think the N was 31 people, right? Well, right. the best experiment is not that study I just shared. It's the N of one. And that N is the person that you see in the mirror, right? <laughs> so the best experiment is doing your own experiment. So no matter what expert you talk to, it could be Dr. McDougall, Esselstein, Ornish, who are in a more plant-based, uh, or it could be all the way to Dr. Sean Baker, who's a carnivore, right? No matter who you're listening to, Jordan Peterson, who's a carnivore, you need to do your own experiment. That's number one. Never, never get indoctrinated into anybody's beliefs. Just use this, this episode and what you're learning to be the foundation of what you do based on what happens to you, right? The other thing is, um, uh, I mentioned uh, earlier that sometimes what you do is based on who you saw first, right? So if I went to Google and I put best diet to for wellness and the vegan expert pops up, then you're going to become that vegan guy. And then you're going to, and then the, what, did the, what does Google do? What does YouTube do? They just only send you vegans. Right. So then you get indoctrinated into that belief. So what I'm asking everybody to do don't get indoctrinated into a carnivore or vegan. Let's let's be open. So if you're if it's politics, it's okay if you're a Fox guy to look at NSNBC sometimes. Right. <laughs> like, just hear what they're saying, you know, and then that, and they may say something that will make you pause and say, "Huh, I hadn't really thought about that. Maybe I need to explore more." So that's something I want to consider a takeaway, and um, and then you know. I think this idea that um, food is medicine is the biggest takeaway because, you know, if we only rely on medicine and therapy and all, you know, and don't think about what we put in our bodies, and we're going to think about that nest and rope as well, then we may struggle to get to our goals because there, there's going to be some gaps and 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 the medicine rarely imagine how complex the body is let's talk, let's go back to medicine first so if i take a medicine that only targets serotonin and all the other neurotransmitters are ignored what's the chances that that's going to work out very well what what happens with diet is that it kind of does all of it at the same time so if a person comes to me for diabetes and i'm like hey let's reduce the like that um, that 95-year-old who was able to improve her kidney function. Um, if I just said, let's just take the medicine and the medicine, has, you know, based on research shows that it'll slow down the progression of your kidney. 
no medicine says it's going to reverse it. Right. It's, it doesn't exist. So so it's okay to still take the lisinopril or the low, you know, the ACE inhibitor, which is a category of medicines that protect right. the kidneys. But but to just rely on that, we're missing an opportunity. So we want to really do a better job at saying, you know what? I need some help in the nutrition space. Now, rather it's through a nutrition professional or a doctor like myself who has learned a little bit or a health system that focuses on this. This is the this is the secret to healing. For some people, it'll be like that 95-year-old who can reverse their kidney failure and get off dialysis. For the other person, it'll be less medicine. For some people, I just feel better. Uh, and, and the goal is to let's all walk towards healing so that as we face... Now, you may have had this, this dramatic, traumatic experience with somebody you love leaving you and, and, and in, a, in a traumatic fashion, but... But how you respond to that is going to be based on looking at all of these components. And then you'll then create a body that's able to then fight any battle. In fact, you'll get so good at that, like some people I'm looking at right now, who then take that and then help other people. <laughs> you get so good at it. And, and, and you'll always struggle no matter what. Life is a struggle. It's just that you'll handle it in a way that will honor the struggle. It's just it's a cloud, right? So you'll keep seeing those cloud pass. <laughs> They'll yeah. still be there. You're like, now, oh, I see a cloud today, yeah. but it'll pass by and then you'll be like, oh my God, here comes the sunshine. I think that's the way, that's kind of how I want to walk away from this conversation. Use food as medicine and 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 now you have tools, more tools to figure out how to get through those struggles. So that's that's kind of where I'm at with that nutrition conversation. Well, Dr. Hampton, I could talk to you for even more hours and hours. I just thank you so much. You're you're incredible. And just I'm so honored to be able to speak with you. As we wrap up, I I do like to ask this this final question, and that is, how do you feel loved? What are some of the ways in which you know and feel loved? Yeah, that's a great question. Um and, you know, I guess I'll go back to my uh, love language. Uh, many of us have <laughs> read, you know, re read that book, The Five Love Languages. For me, it ended up being uh, words of affirmation. So um, even recently, uh, I had uh, a leader in my health system, you know, kind of suggest I consider some other roles and it wasn't necessarily rather than that I was going to, you know, pursue that. It's just the idea that that somebody who I respect uh, respects what I'm trying to do. Mm -hmm. And so for me, uh, I feel loved when people show appreciation for what I'm doing. And, and, and then what's cool is that I'm trying to live my life purpose by teaching this metabolic health message. Right. And, and if I if so if people acknowledge that and and they and they do well, and and the irony is um, when I was younger I thought if I can just get that nice car, nice house, I would feel loved. <laughs> I would feel you know. And I'm finding that you know I I don't you know I shared that story about the 95 year old because if you were in the room when I was saying to them I think you guys I don't think you need to be on dialysis anymore. I. I mean, those are the moments when you feel like, oh my God, I'm living my life purpose and things are uh, 
or what I had hoped they would be. So, so it's a combination of, you know, hearing from people that they appreciate what I'm trying to do and, and knowing that I'm living my life purpose. And if I get those two things from mine, I feel all the love I'll need. (laughs) (laughs) I love that question. Well, thank you for answering it. And how can people connect with you? Yeah, the best way is uh, just search my name, Dr. Tony Hampton and link tree, which has a link to uh, uh, just, you know, all the stuff I'm up to, rabbits to YouTube, my book, uh, podcast, and and it can be modified. So if I decide to change it or feature a video, that's why I like a link tree. I think everybody should have a link tree. Yes. There, <laughs> they can share what they're up to, or they're just their favorite people. If you like certain, like if you like the content I share, uh, you know, just put it on a link tree and share it with friends and family so they can then grow and experience uh, some of the healing that comes with lifestyle changes. Wonderful. And I will be sure to put the link tree in the show notes so that people can go to all the things that you're up to. Thank you so much. I am so grateful for our conversation. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And just keep doing the great work you're doing as well. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in and listening to this episode of the You Are Loved podcast. For more information about suicide prevention, be sure to check out owlandthistle.com. That's owl as in the bird. And if you're coping with the loss of a loved one due to suicide, we've been there too. And for more information, check out our sister company found at scatteringhope.com. Please like and subscribe to this program to stay current with all of our episodes and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Owl and Thistle for Scattering Hope. As always, remember, you are loved.